Good morning, Malaga. Good afternoon, Astana. And good evening, Seoul. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss a potential TikTok ban in the U.S. and a crackdown on India's opposition. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? Very well, thanks, Ethan. Uh, Monday, ready to attack a new week. How about you? I'm doing well. So today we are going to start off with one of your favorite topics, John, TikTok. Are you on TikTok, John? <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> I, I think I, I think I may have seen you doing a, a funny little dance on there one time. No. But, <laughs> oh, God, uh, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today, of course, is the possible... U.S. ban on TikTok. We're going to uh, assume everyone knows what TikTok is, you know, the dancing, the, the bread baking. I've never been a TikTok user, but I've borrowed other people's phones to test it out. And I must say it's pretty addictive. Yeah, I, I have too. And I, I think that's what critics would say is one of the big problems with it, uh, especially for the teenagers who are already suffering from social media overload. Um, and it's driving up rates of depression and anxiety, right? Um, but I, you know, as bad as all that is, Ethan, that's not why it's in the news right now. So why is TikTok in the news right now? Yeah, well, I suggested we talk about this because late last week, I think it was Thursday, uh, the, the US CEO of TikTok was in front of a congressional hearing. Um, the problem is that TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. Um, and obviously, if you've been following the latest geopolitics via the International Intrigue newsletter, uh, you know that the US and China aren't getting along super well right now. So, you know, law, American lawmakers aren't, aren't excited by the idea that a Chinese company is helping keep a generation of teenagers attached to their phones. Um, and there's a question about what the Chinese parent company of TikTok is doing with uh, the user's data. You know, obviously the issue here is that the Chinese government isn't an innocent or passive bystander when it comes to its own tech industry. Um, you know, not to say that the U.S. government is either, but uh, there's a, an impression that Chinese pol policymakers can really force Chinese tech companies to do what they say, um, you know, turnover data, target specific users, so on. So American lawmakers see that as a potential national security issue for obvious reasons. Um, and they've been calling to, to sort of have the U.S. reconsider whether or not U.S. citizens are allowed to use TikTok. Simple as that. Um, you know, it's... TikTok has been banned from a lot of government devices already in the US, the UK, Germany, the EU, a couple of other countries too. So there's this sense that TikTok is dangerous, but the question is, can we, can the US force the country not to use it? So you, so you mentioned that TikTok CEO uh, was on Capitol Hill late last week. What happened during the hearing? Did, did it seem like there was a bit of bipartisan support for curtailing TikTok's influence in the US? Yeah, big big time. It's bipartisan. He he was just under attack from everywhere, from every direction. You know, these these congressional committee hearings are prone to political grandstanding um, instead of genuine fact finding at the best of times. But Thursday was just brutal. Uh, the lawmakers just couldn't care less about what the CEO uh, of TikTok was saying. Um, you know, every time he said, "Oh, TikTok doesn't share data with the Chinese government," they sort of went like, "Yeah, no, it does." Stop. You know, they move on. They just weren't having what he was what he was saying. Basically, I'm surprised to hear you attack uh, members of Congress that way, John. And it, it, it leads me to question whether you might be an agent of the Chinese government. Uh, 
<laughs> but, but I mean, I, I can understand why uh, there's this bipartisan support. I mean, no U.S. politician wants to be seen as soft on China right now. Right. You know, you're joking about kind of accusing me of being a Chinese agent, but that does feel like the political climate a little bit in the U.S. at the moment. Um, and, and let me be clear and perhaps editorialize for just a second. I find it highly implausible, given what I know of the Chinese political system, that the that TikTok and the government, the Chinese government, haven't been collaborating. Um, and, you know, to what, ex- to what extent, you know, is difficult to find evidence of. And there are plenty of US firms that, you know, don't do great things either. But, you know, the issue here isn't just made up out of thin air, right? Um, you know, it's not, it's not US lawmakers being paranoid. There's a real issue. It needs to be investigated. Whether the US Congress is able to, you know, thoughtfully investigate and create policy on this issue is a completely different matter. There you go again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm biased. No, but getting away from domestic politics, perhaps then, the foreign policy problem for the US is that in the hearing last Thursday, you know, public and grandiose and designed for domestic dunking via soundbites, that, that risks an escalation um, with China, uh, by which, you know, China retaliates against a US company, for example. Um, you know, and we, and I think you can even see that worry uh, flowing through already. Apple, which is a huge employer in China and is thought to be somewhat protected from the Chinese government interference by virtue of being a huge employer, um, they appear concerned. The CEO Tim Cook was doing a press tour in Beijing, presumably to demonstrate that Apple is popular in China and China is popular with uh, with Apple HQ. So, I guess. I understand the political incentive here. Like I said, this you know, stand strong against China. Mm-hmm. And there's even kind of an incentive here to stand strong against social media. That, that seems to be another uh, uh, punching bag for lawmakers right now. I can even appreciate the uh, black mirror uh, dystopianness of a hostile right. foreign government using an addictive app as a tool yeah. of psychological warfare against a, a rival country's youth, you know. But... <laughs> This still feels strange and probably a bit more fraught than you U.S. lawmakers are, are making it seem, especially considering the potential backlash from American users who, even if they're not eligible to vote yet, will certainly be voting soon. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to remember that U.S. policymaking isn't just done in Congress by political folks in Congress. Um Congress is a good marker of the political climate in the country, of course. Um, And by last Thursday's events, it seems pretty clear that many in the US have had enough of what they view as China's nefarious activities. But Congress doesn't do the actual deep work of government. I suppose we can only hope that careful, politically disinterested policy experts in the bowels of the Treasury and Commerce and State Departments are doing the hard work of figuring out, you know, exactly what the problem is with TikTok and how to solve it. Like, that's hard, serious work. But, you know, I I think reading the coverage late last week of that TikTok hearing, it's hard for me to think that the US has any choice, really, other than to ban TikTok. Um, So, you know, maybe Congress does call the shots after all. I'm not sure. I don't know how you're going to make a livelihood anymore. Today's show is sponsored by Todoist. 
Todoist is the easiest way to organize your work and your life. All you have to do is download the app to help build detailed to-do lists to keep on top of everything you need to do and to help delegate tasks to coworkers. I use it every day to keep on top of my schedule. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. So next up, we're heading to South Asia, where a political scandal is unfolding in the world's largest democracy. John, what's the story? Yeah, so we're talking about a prominent Indian politician named Rahul Gandhi. Any relation? To Mahatma Gandhi? Uh, no, afraid not. He, But Rahul is from rich political stock, nonetheless. Uh, Rajiv, his father, was Prime Minister of India. His mother, Sonia Gandhi, which I'm sure a lot of folks will have heard of. She was the president of Indian National Congress Party. His grandmother, Indira Gandhi, again, very famous, was an, uh, an Indian Prime Minister. And his great-grandfather... Jawaharlal Nehru, and I think I said that right, was India's very first prime minister after independence. So, you know, pretty, pretty uh, good family tree. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, but what's happening with Rahul? So the TLDR here is that he's been kicked out of India's parliament because he's been found guilty uh, of uh, defamation and has been sentenced to two years in prison. My very basic understanding of Indian law means that if a parliamentarian is convicted of a crime and then sentenced for more than two years, they get booted from parliament and can't contest elections for another eight eight years. Um, these particular charges stem from the 2019 election campaign when Gandhi wondered out loud at a rally, uh, if all men with the surname Modi are thieves, which you know clearly a dig against the prime minister uh, Narendra Modi. Defamation case was brought by a lawmaker named Pernesh Modi, which is you know, convenient for, for, for the prime minister. Um, uh, and he comes from uh, Narendra Modi's ruling BJP party as well. So fast forward to last week, late last week in Gujarat, the prime minister's home state, the court in Gujarat state found Rahul Gandhi guilty of defamation and sentenced to two years, as I said, and then he was kicked out of parliament 24 hours later. Interesting. So besides his, his prominent parentage, what do we know about Rahul Gandhi? Yeah, so he's a huge uh, political figure in India. He was the former leader of the National Congress Party, um, which was once the most powerful party in the country and held office for 60 of 76 years uh, post-independence. But it now only has 10% of the seats in Indian Congress. Um, he led the National Congress Party ticket in 2014 and 19. And in each case, he won about 20% of the popular vote in India and obviously was defeated both times by, by Narendra Modi. The important thing to note here, I think, is that the National Congress Party is really India's only opposition party with national reach. Uh, the ruling BJP party is certainly national, but most opposition parties in India are regional and they don't have that national profile. Interesting. And so let's let's talk about Narendra Modi. How does his political philosophy differ from, from Gandhi's? What, what, what makes them such potent rivals? Yeah, okay. So the BJP, ruling BJP party, Modi's party, is is a Hindu nationalist party. Um, and they've really intensified that brand of Hindu nationalism under Modi. The, the Congress party was founded as a more secular party. Um, so that's the biggest difference. And, and under Modi, um, you know, violent attacks in India against minorities have increased. Um, it's become harder for Muslim asylum seekers to become citizens. And Modi actually eliminated the political autonomy of Kashmir, which is a Muslim majority region that has been fought over by India and Pakistan for, for a long time. Um, and, and, you know, Modi has also been accused of using his enormous political popularity to crush dissent. Uh, in February, Indian tax agents raided the BBC, yet yeah, the British Broadcasting Corporation BBC, um, after it 
uh, aired a documentary in India that was critical of Modi. So I think there's this sense that Modi's brand of politics is that he can basically do whatever he wants, optics be damned. And, you know, that's that's a fairly dangerous sign for India. Right. So, I mean, Modi's been powerful for a long time. He keeps winning elections. He's hugely popular, one of the most popular politicians on planet Earth. Which I guess leads me back to uh, Rahul Gandhi and the opposition to Modi, which, you know, took a huge blow this past week. Are they going to survive? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's the big unknown here. And it's the most important takeaway. Remember all those regional opposition parties I mentioned before? There are some initial signs that they're coming out in support of Gandhi against this court case and against him being kicked out of parliament. Um, last week, they've made comments along the lines, you know, on the theme of India's democracy is in danger. And these parties, these regional opposition parties have no love for the National Congress Party. So I've, a few analysts I've actually spoken to since this all went down last week are wondering whether Rahul Gandhi's potential imprisonment and his expulsion from parliament could sow the seeds of a new nationwide anti-BJP, anti-Modi political movement. You know, I think that's by no means likely. Um, And a lot depends on what Rahul uh, Rahul Gandhi's next moves are. You know, if he decides to grip up and go to prison, he could become this symbol of the dangers of letting one person run India with, you know, almost absolute power for so long. You know, kind of a figure that opposition parties, regional opposition parties could rally around and capture India's political conscience and become more of a national movement. You know, obviously that's a big if, but if but if Gandhi can channel some of his forebears' political instincts, I think the next year in the run-up to India's elections could be very interesting. Well, thanks, John. Talk soon. Cheers, Ethan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Protesters in Serbia demanded President Aleksandr Vucic resign on Friday over plans to settle a simmering conflict with Kosovo. The plan would allow Kosovo to seek membership in international organizations and grant substantial autonomy to ethnic Serbs in Kosovo. On Thursday, police in Montenegro arrested Do Kwon, whose South Korean crypto company Terraform Labs misled investors to the tune of $40 billion. Police said Kwon was attempting to fly to Dubai using a fake Costa Rican passport. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, did you hear that the whiskey distiller Jack Daniels has taken a dog toy company to court? It's uh, for an interesting reason, but check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see why. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Wednesday.